party people, I'm Katie, and welcome back to another episode of Apostolic Audios. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hope you're enjoying your Sunday or whatever day it happens to be when you're listening. Today on the podcast, we are joined by Renzo and Peyton, and we're giving Renzo seven burning questions about Catholicism. So we're unpacking the sacraments, um, what even is the catechism, and we even touch on Adam and Eve a bit. So um, hope you guys are excited to get right into it. And at the end, we have a bit of a speed round to look forward to as well. Hey, party people. Today, we're talking with Renzo about Catholicism. So we have seven burning questions for Renzo about Catholicism. We also have Peyton. This was kind of impromptu. Peyton doesn't know what he's going to say or if he's going to say anything, but he is here. Peyton, introduce yourself. Hi, guys. I'm Peyton. Um, I'm a senior in high school, and I'm really excited to be here. So true. Thank you, Peyton. Can you share a fun fact? Um, I was born in Las Vegas. So no way. true. Yeah. That is a fun fact. I lived there for four years. That's a very cool place to live. All right, Renzo, would you like to introduce yourself? Why are you here? Yeah, I, I'm here out of support. For Apostolic Audio, I, my name is Renzo. Well, obviously, you said that. I'm Renzo. I'm the youth minister for United. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to be here. Really excited. I'm excited for the seven questions. I only looked at the first three, so mm. I don't know what you're gonna throw at me. Yeah, I'm kind of throwing these at him, which he just said. Which and I was not born in Las Vegas. Ooh, can you give another fun fact about? I was place born in oh, Peru. That works too. In a different country. That is so cool. All right, maybe we should just hop right into it. Okay, so the first one, they're in no particular order either. Um, these are from Google. So the next time we do something like this, I'm going to have you guys answer on the Instagram what questions you want answered. So Google provided them today. That's but cool. Thanks. Um, the first one is, why do we do confession? Oh boy. All right. Okay. <laughs> so why do we do confession? All right. So I'm starting right off the bat. Okay. No, no softballs in the beginning. Do you it's want okay. a softball? No, I'll take, I'll take that one. I'll take no particular one. order. No, 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 sorry. <laughs> Um, for, it's so, so I know confession is hard for people because they, they would rather go right to God. Um, so if I'm assuming the person asking is someone who believes in God already and wants to know why do they have to go to God? Like why, why do they have to go to a priest? Why can't they just go to God directly? Um, and what I would answer to that is, um, in the old Testament, when the old Testament Jews had sins, what they would do is they would go to the temple and they would offer up something so like so they would pay money to, to either you know uh, sacrifice a bird or, or cattle or something and their offering would end up being what um, takes away their sins so like they would give an offering up the priest would then take that sacrificial offering sacrifice it on the altar offer it up to God and that's how their sins are forgiven um, now when Jesus came he did not abolish that but he kind of perfected it so he, he took that kind of sacrifice and instead of uh, sacrificing animals he said I will be your sacrifice so he's the, he's the perfect sacrifice for us. And instead of us going to an Old Testament or, or a temple priest to sacrifice for us, he says, not only am I the sacrifice, I'm also the priest that's going to be offering the sacrifice. So on the cross, he offered himself to the Father as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And now when we go to the priest, we're not actually going to um, the priest himself. As much as it, it's you're talking to a priest and he's giving you his advice and his, you know, maybe he's got some insights what we're really doing is we're going to Jesus himself because uh, we believe that in the moment of the sacrament, the, that Jesus is truly present there in, in, the, in the person of the priest. So the priest 
is no longer really there. It's really Jesus that's there and he's the one that's forgiving your sins. So he's the one that's listening. He's the one that's praying with you. And then he's the one that's forgiving your sins at the end when, um, when the priest says, I absolve you of your sins. Um, so we don't believe that we go to confession to, to a person. We believe that we go through to Jesus through the priest. Um, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the, the only mediator, mediator between us and God. And so we believe that we go directly to God through the priest who, in the moment of the sacrament, is Jesus himself. That is supported by uh, John 20, 21 through 23, when Jesus gives um, the apostles the power to forgive sins. Like, he wouldn't have given them the power to forgive sins if they weren't supposed to use it. Um, and then also in James, um, I might be wrong, I think it's the letter James chapter 5 verse 7 I could be wrong but it says to forgive we'll fact check. yeah you can fact check me um, but it says to confess your sins to one another so those are just two instances in the New Testament where we're where the it's not like the Old Testament type of giving your getting your sins forgiven and it's also not just a just say your sins to God directly and he's gonna um, you know just pray your sins away um, but the, the New Testament really gives us a concrete way of actually having your sins forgiven after Jesus rises from the dead so, does that sure. answer the... the I th okay. I think it does. That was a really good answer. Okay. Peyton, do you have anything to add? Um, no, not on this issue. <laughs> I'm so That's awesome. Um, I just kind of want to add to that. I used to despise confession. I hated going. There was like a period of year... There were a period of years where I didn't go for like anything ever. And like if I did, it was like, oh, I disobeyed my mom twice or I kicked my sister. I didn't actually kick my sister. It's, Anyways, um, but then I, once I got older, I realized there's such a peace in going to confession. And like something that I do is I write down all my sins on like a piece of paper. And then at the end of it, I either crumple it up or tear it away. And then it's like everything that I've done has been like physically forgiven by Jesus. And mm -hmm. that just makes it so much easier for me to be able to take the gift that God's given us because mm -hmm. confession is a gift. Yeah. But we don't always see it that yeah. way because it's scary. It's super. But that's scary. okay. Yeah. Good things are scary sometimes. Yeah. It's super scary, and you're also nervous that the person that you confess to is going to judge you after, yeah. or like, what if they see you later? They're gonna know all the things you did. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been blessed enough to have priests, and they even that are friends of mine that, that forgive my sins and don't treat me any differently. Like mm -hmm. they don't. It's they, they all say like I. There's nothing you'll ever say that we've never heard before. And it's just and it's that's just true. very true. Like there's and there's a lot of. It's still scary, but there's a lot of peace that comes after that of like, if he could still treat me the same, like imagine how much more God still loves you, even though you know those things. Like that's, that's been comforting for me. Yeah. All right. There's one thing I will say on this, which is that for me, going to confession has been a very humbling experience since I've started going regularly. Cause you know, I think it's easy for someone to just, you know, pray to God, you know, Lord, forgive me my sins. And then voila, you know, your sins are forgiven. Um, but I think that it takes a special kind of effort to get out and go to confession and to talk to another person who's a leader in your community. And, you know, you, hopefully you do have a relationship with your priest outside of, of mass and confession. Um, and, you know, I think it takes a lot of, of guts and humility to go and do that. And at least for me, that's kind of helped me, um, I guess, despise the sin in my life and, you know, be able to kind of lay the sin at the feet of Jesus. If that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. That makes so much sense. Yes. Thank you, Peyton. All right. I think it's time to move on to the next question. Sort of along the lines of confession, but get ready. If Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, would Jesus still have been sent? No. 
but you know it's funny. So some, so, <laughs> no, they, well, so the short answer is no. But it's funny that so a lot of I'm trying to think of what church father, but there there's some hymns that refer to the fall. So like Adam and Eve sinning as um, they they say, "Oh happy fault," because if it wasn't for their sin, we would never know Jesus and like know the depth of how much God loves us, like just how much He's willing to sacrifice up for us, how much we're worth. Um, because it, it is through the cross that we understand what our worth is. It's through the cross that, that we are, we're elevated to something greater and we would never have the opportunity to experience that because if it wasn't for the fall, mm. however, like, obviously you wish that didn't happen, but at the same time, like, that's why there's some saints that call it a happy fault because if it was because of that, we get to experience Jesus, which is the greatest good of our lives. Mm. So does that then mean that Jesus wouldn't have been the second person of the Holy Trinity, or would he just exist in a way that we never knew him in human form? So he would still be the second person of the Trinity. He would not have human uh, nature. So he would still have his divine nature. He wouldn't have human nature because he took on human nature in order to, to redeem human nature. So Jesus exists in any possibility? Yes. Oh, so Jesus already exists, yes. Yeah. So okay. he would still exist as God in heaven, mm. but he would just just be that. And we, yeah, so it'd be different. Mm-hmm. So, cool. All right. I really liked that question. The next one. Who founded the Catholic Church? So, technically, Jesus. And then he established it on Peter and the Twelve Apostles. Well, Twelve Apostles. Eleven Apostles and then the Twelve after. But, yes. So, Peter and the Twelve Apostles. And then they were the first bishops who then ordained other bishops, who ordained priests. And then there's a succession from those bishops the first 12 apostles all the way to our current bishop. So like if we, and you could do that, there used to be new, um, in the new American Bible, there used to actually be the list of all the popes in like the first couple pages where you could look, look back every single pope all the way to Peter. And similarly, you could do that with all the bishops that exist now, which is trace their lineage of who ordained them to get all the way back to one of the apostles. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So, so we believe that the Jesus himself founded the church and the 12 apostles are the ones that ordained and created the hierarchy and everything we have. So and that's why it hasn't fallen apart, because despite all the corruption, it still ends up being around, and it's only by the grace of God that it could do that. Hmm. Because it went through, and like not talking about anything present, like it went through some very dark times back in the day where it could have been destroyed, and for some reason, it's still around, and we, we attribute that to because it's God's church. Hmm. Anything to add, Peyton? Not on this, no? Hmm. I like that answer. I meant the answer in general, not the fact that Peyton isn't talking. <laughs> Peyton has... <laughs> Never mind. Um, what is purgatory? So purgatory is... So after you die, there is a initial judgment where um, depending... So like if you live your life, like God is the most important thing in your life and like everything... Like that you want to be with God no matter what, then you will go to heaven. Like that's... It, because if you live your life that way, like you avoid mortal sin and like the the greatest good in your life is God and you want to live everything for God we may not do it perfectly we sin we still fall but if that's what we want more than anything else then we will get to heaven mm-hmm. however if we do want that more than anything else and when we die but there's still parts of us that like little bits here and there like I still love this I still love this more I still love this more not to a degree of a mortal sin but in, enough that there's still like things that we're attached to of this world mm-hmm. you will pass through purgatory so pa- so purgatory is a a um, like a way that's you go through purgatory to get to heaven to be purified of the things that still you're still attached to in this world. So it's not like another part of hell. 
though it could be described like that in some like um in like the divine comedy and like different um other works that aren't in the bible um but it, it and others are more poetic and like imagine imaginative imaginative yeah imaginative um but hell it's his own thing like if you die and you don't want to be with god he's not going to force you so he will let you go to hell so people that go to hell choose to go to hell they don't choose they like if, if you want to go to heaven when you die like you will go to heaven but like you're obviously we all we know our own hearts like we don't know each other's hearts but we would know our own hearts and if we live our life saying we want to go to heaven but like we do things day to day that don't indicate that like that kind of speaks for itself so if you do live your life in a way that yeah i want heaven and you die you will go through purgatory to be purged of the things that you're still attached to in this world because only perfect things can enter heaven Mm-hmm. Um, C.S. Lewis has a really good book on this um, called The Great Divorce and in the book um, basically like once a year people that are in hell get to take a bus to heaven and they can try to stay if they want to stay so like in the book angels will literally come out to meet them and say can you please stay in heaven like this is where we want you to go we want you to stay in heaven um, but what, what happens is that eventually they get bored with heaven because they still have things that they're attached to in hell so they all choose to go back Spoiler alert. It's really cool how each, like, he goes through each individual soul story. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing, like, that if a soul chooses to stay, they have to go through, um, like, a really, they have to go through a bunch of different things to get to the other side of a mountain where heaven is. And those things are painful. And a lot of times people leave because, like, oh, the grass hurts. Like, you know, the wind's really hot. Uh, really, the wind's really hot. The sun's really hot. The wind's really uh, blowing me everywhere. Um, so they, they're uncomfortable. So they end up wanting to leave. And C.S. Lewis tries to depict the idea of going through those difficult things is purgatory and like those things get pulled away and then they it kind of takes you takes all the things of the world away from you so that you could go to the other side of the mountain which is heaven so those things that are holding you back are no longer there i hope i answered the question yes i just rambled so i have a question based cool. on that to summarize so basically if you're in purgatory you are going to heaven yes okay so cool so i actually have a question about that i could see someone asking you know if a soul does desire to be with God in in some way and they mm-hmm. go to purgatory, why then would God cause them to experience suffering in order to go to heaven? In purgatory? Yes. It, that's interesting. I, I would recommend reading The Great Divorce if you can because it, it is a short book, but that helped answer a lot of the questions I had because – so like for one of the – one of the, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm kind of spoiling the book, like parts of the book for anybody who wants to read it, um, but there's one person – that I remember that they, oh, they're taking garbage out. All right, so there's We're cleaning, one, currently. So there's one person in the book who is the caretaker, their whole life they lived as the caretaker of their husband. Um, so their, their whole life they lived as the caretaker of their husband. And um, they, they, their whole life they lived as the caretaker of their husband and they identified with that um, role as caretaker. So they go, they're, so they're in hell, they go to heaven, and they're being asked to go to heaven, and um, the angels are trying to beg them to stay, and all they do is argue, is like, well, I have to go back and take care of my husband. And the angels keep trying to, trying to convince them, like, no, actually, your husband's here. This is, this is a paradise for you. This is where you want to be. There's no pain here. You don't have to take care of anybody. And the person's stuck, I got to go take care of my husband. I got to go take care of my husband. To the point that you see it's painful because, like, it's painful because they have to change their whole paradigm of how they see things. Mm-hmm. And, like, that is painful. Like, and it, that comes for any of us. Like, if you, if you, um, like, if you have, yeah. That's like when I was on the bus in Steubenville, and I didn't understand free will. 
Yeah. And then everything shifted. Yes, right. And, like, everything just changes. Yeah. And, like, that, for some people, is painful. And it so wasn't like, a bad change. No, no. But it needed to happen. Right. But it hurt, because my entire world was just like, wait a minute. Yes. So, like, and that's how you can understand the pain of purgatory. Like, it's not, like, just physical. It's not like someone's, like, poking you with a needle in purgatory. But, like, it's, things are changing in your heart, and, like, those are the more painful things. So, like, you feel like a fire that's burning away at things. Like, if you look, if you think of um, Moses in the Old Testament when he sees God... In, in the burning bush and how the fire doesn't consume the the bush like that's how that's that's a good way of thinking of like how we'll be in heaven but like the things that will burn away though are the things aren't that aren't of him so like that's painful but like we will still be illuminated we will still be light we will still be good but like the little things that aren't of him are have to go away and that that's hard for us so the letting go is what's painful so it's not necessarily that God is causing one to experience pain but more that them being deprived of their earthly desires is a painful experience, but it's necessary to come into unity with God. Yes, mm. either go that way. I have an interesting analogy. You know when you like over roast a marshmallow and it's like completely toasted. Yeah. And then you pull off like the outer yeah, shell. Yeah, yeah. And it's like perfect inside. <laughs> yes, yes. That's that's kind of what I'm yeah. feeling right now. Yeah, yeah, and and like the beauty is that we could live in a way now that we don't need that, but that takes a lot of. That, that's hurtful that painful here too mm. because like a lot of we have to give up a lot of things and say no to a lot of things and go through a lot of ridicule and even just spiritually like a lot of us might have dark nights of the soul where God takes away his presence from us and we have to continue to persevere like there's all those things that happen here too so mm. that's part of the spiritual life very cool alright so I don't want to make this episode too long so I think Sorry. we're going to give you <laughs> no, you're gonna, one question we're gonna, no, 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 no. We're going to give you the last three questions, because I said we'd do seven questions, but you get one minute to answer each. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Lightning I think, round. Lightning round. I think you can do it for all but three. I mean, all but one. So, okay. I'm doing my best. All right. What does the catechism go? The, the catechism is a book that explains everything the Catholic Church teaches. It's broken up into four parts, and it is very difficult to read, but it's very beautiful. Wow, you did that in, like, 20. Okay. Um, what are sacraments? Sacraments are uh, outward signs instituted by Christ to give us grace. What does that mean? So they're like they're physical things that we do that the Catholic Church does that um, Jesus established for us, and there are ways of attaining God's life in us. So like there's baptism, Jesus established that because he got baptized himself. Um, we have the water, and you get baptized, and that's how we receive God's life in us. Same thing with the Eucharist; he established the Eucharist. Um, we have the Eucharist, and that's how we receive God's life in us. And with confession, he did confession. He gave the power for confession. So every single one of the sacraments, like, he gave the... He set the precedent of how to do it, why to do it, and that's our main way of having God's life in us, which so, is what we call grace. Very cool. All right, I'm going to give you five seconds of breathing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I can talk fast, sorry. <laughs> All right, are you ready? Yes. All right, last one. How are we actually eating slash drinking Jesus's flesh and blood during communion and Eucharist. One minute for that. <laughs> Go. Oh, okay. So we are, so, oh, we talked about this at Sumo. Okay. So, so this table. <laughs> Which so, they can see. So the, the table that this microphone's on that you can't see, but it's here. Um, so this table is, um, like, it, it's accident is table. So, like, it is a table. So, like, what you see is a table, and its substance of what it is is table. In the, in the bread and wine, when it's on the altar before the priest uh, prays over it, 
it's accident. So like what you see is bread and it's substance. What it actually is, is bread. Mm-hmm. Once he prays, the prayers of prayers of consecration and he changes the body and blood to what we believe is the soul and divinity of the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. The accident is the same. So what you see is still bread and wine, but the substance of what's there is what changes. So like that's the miracles that the substance of the, the bread, the substance of the wine is not just bread and wine, but it is Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. So it is a miracle, and that's what we're, we're receiving when we have, receive communion. You did go over a minute. Uh, I tried but <laughs> That was a really good answer. I'm glad you got through the whole thing. I All used right. a table as an example. I'm That they cannot <laughs> see. Yes. So I knocked on it. Yeah, that's true. All right. I want to thank Renzo and Peyton for coming on the podcast today. Any closing remarks? No. I think we covered it. My heart is racing. <laughs> but we did it. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Apostolic Audios. Get in touch with us on our social medias. We'd love to hear from you. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Keep us in your prayers. You are always in ours.